Hey, welcome to the Comics Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and dig deep in the worlds of comics and graphic novels. I'm Paul, your host. I'm an English teacher and a comics aficionado. Here to talk with you today about the explosion of new comics on Substack. There's more. Um, if you if you didn't know about the latest news, uh, but you heard about the, the stuff before, well, uh, hold on to your hats. <laughs> We're going to talk about those announcements, as well as um, dig a little deeper into one comic that is serialized on Substack, uh, namely uh, on Salah Ahmed's um, Copper Bottle. Uh, it's, it's called Star Signs, and it's drawn by Megan Levins and written by Ahmed, and um, published on Substack. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Substack. We'll talk about um, the stories that are showing up there, all the new announcements recently, uh, what I've been reading, um, Fantastic Four, Point of Origin, <laughs> which is a run of Fantastic Four from a few years ago. I'm not, I'm not definitely, I'm definitely not uh, the latest hits out, out here. <laughs> My playlist is getting a little old, but uh, we'll also break down, um, uh, you know, the, all the new announcements of stuff coming to Substack and talk about sci-fi and why, why sci-fi? So much sci-fi with me, Paul Lai. Um, <laughs> the Comic Syllabus is part of the Multiversity Network of Podcasts and also part of the Comic Syllabus Substack, which you can find at comicsyllabus.substack.com and multiversitycomics.com is the home of this podcast as well as the home of a network of really interesting podcasts, uh, including the DC3 cast, Make My Multiversity, Robots from Tomorrow, um, I forgot the name of the Star Wars podcast, <laughs> co-hosted, by the way, by uh, Brian Salvatore, uh, who's one of the editors, obviously massive contributor, um, I would say a leader at uh, Multiversity, and uh, one of the DC3 uh, folks. So shout out to you, Brian. Um, love love the work you're doing, uh, including with Star Wars. I've, I've been kind of into it lately. <laughs> I've been, uh, I talked last episode, actually, about the first couple episodes of uh, a book of Boba Fett, and uh, I will not spoil, um, but things have been going on. You may have heard the buzz that that show has had some events, um, which have made me kind of excited about Star Wars. I'm I'm not a, a huge Star Wars geek, but I, um, since The Mandalorian, to be honest, I, I just really kind of enjoyed kind of digging into the vast world of, of fictions that are there. Um, today, I went to the library. We have a great public library. I live in uh, San Leandro, California. Shout out to San Leandro, right right by Oakland. Uh, we're at the library, and I am there pulling a huge stack of books. I mean, literally, embarrassingly, you know, about to topple over in my arms. And, uh, uh, you know, a woman next to me uh, glances over, and, you know, we're masked into the library. And she, <laughs> she says, uh, I take it you're into sci-fi <laughs> because I've got a stack um, that includes Dune. You know, there's a copy of Dune there. I've never read Dune. Uh, enjoyed the movie. And, and I've got all these Star Wars High Republic books, uh, like sort of Caven Scott, uh, if that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, Scott is also the writer of some of the, the, the Star Wars comics, um, the High Republic comics, Charles Sewell, um, and then Timothy Zahn's Thrawn Ascendancy. Uh, <laughs> I was joking with my daughter that Timothy Zahn, the writer, um, did a series of, of Star Wars, you know, now legends, but many of them brought, being brought into canonical Star Wars, about a character named Thrawn, who's totally fascinating as a character, um, you know, sort of an empire figure who is, who is uh, just really crafty and smart. Anyway, <laughs> 
Zahn uh, created Thrawn. <laughs> and uh, whatever, best-selling series of Star Wars books. You know, and then I got all this other sci-fi, sci-fi stacked there. And so this, uh, this, this person next to me says, uh, so I, I, I take it you're into to sci-fi. And uh, turns out she's also a, a teacher, actually a re- retired teacher um, in our area. So um, some of our schools that I know of. And I, I, I responded, um, you know, a year ago, if you'd asked me that or if you said that, I, I would have been surprised. Because I do not think of myself generally as a, a person who is a fan of sci-fi. Um, if you can count my comics fandom as as uh, as that then 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 I suppose I am um but actually uh, with those books you know uh, I was also checking out climate chaos lessons on survival from our ancestors um not a comic but um by Brian Fagan and, and, and Nadia Durrani a couple of archaeologists and then another book called our biggest experiment an epic history of the climate crisis by Alice Bell um both books really search into different scales of our human history to consider what we can learn um, for how we are dealing with and how we will have to deal with, uh, maybe how we potentially could deal better with the climate crisis that is very real in, in, right now. And, um, and I've been thinking a lot about how the, the, the anthropogenic dimension of climate change, you know, the fact that we're talking about human-generated activity that is altering our you know, atmosphere and our world, um, as one of the books puts it, with with catastrophic consequences for the earth biomes, you know that that um, that we um, are faced with um, this apocalyptic reality in, in our present time, uh, and it is a reality of our making, and that we need to tell stories as an aspect of survival, but we cannot just tell stories as an aspect of our survival. And so I, I said to this person, I wasn't a fan of, of sci-fi, but I, I think I'm becoming one as I, as a teacher, am teaching kids about climate change and trying to imagine what we do and trying to figure out what our future would be and, um, and, and trying to stoke our, you know, our visions of how we can live differently. Uh, at which point the woman said, uh, have a nice day. <laughs> That's enough out of you. I wasn't asking for all that TMI. So, <laughs> but uh, very nice conversation. Uh, anyway, it, it just, it occurred to me. I think it, I was struck by this kind of, you know, I mean, some of my checking out, you know, 14 Star Wars books from the library is just nerding <laughs> and being excited about <laughs> Grogu. Oh, sorry. That might be a spoiler. Shoot. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I think that the, um, uh, sorry, I'm just thinking, oh, I got to put in the show notes now. Sorry if I spoiled something for you. Um, but I think that the, um, the bigger questions that compel my, the, and, and, and sort of drive, draw my interest in reading about, um, uh, about sort of science fiction, and, and particularly I've been looking for uh, cli-fi, like climate, you know, connected science fiction, um, to read myself, to school myself, to be educated uh, myself, but also to um, learn uh, with my students and to read with my students, and maybe even to um, have them uh, work themselves on crafting stories that 
um, you know, channel their learning, their knowledge, uh, their kind of gradually growing knowledge about our, the realities of, of, of our um, impending disasters and the responsibilities we have as a world and the way that the youth are leading us to consciousness about the choices that we're making and the consequences for generations to come. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm way more sci-fi than I ever thought I would be. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, you know, thinking about how do I not make that a convenient way to not deal with reality? Um, how do I, you know, sort of, I like I like the image of, of holding, you know, um, a comic book in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Although <laughs> at this point I'm not holding either; I'm holding a tablet. But um, but the the idea that that um, well, I recently was reading a, a swim in, in a pond in the rain. It's just author George Saunders is sort of um, kind of his his uh, Russian author's class in a book <laughs> where he takes you through several short stories by some of my favorite, actually some of my favorite authors, several Russian novelists and, and short story writers. And, and, um, and it's actually sort of a book version of his class. It's a great book. And if you're, if you know, George Saunders, it's one of my favorite authors, my favorite contemporary authors. Um, anyway, in this book, he writes to study the way we read is to study the way the mind works, the way it evaluates a statement for truth, the way it behaves in relation to another mind, i.e. the writers, across space and time. What we're going to be doing here, he's talking about in this book and kind of in his course, essentially is watching ourselves read, trying to reconstruct how we felt as we were just now reading. And why would we want to do this? He's asking, why, why do we pay such attention to how we read? Well, the part of the mind that reads a story is also the part that reads the world. It can deceive us, but it can also be trained to accuracy. It can fall into disuse and make us more susceptible to lazy, violent, materialistic forces. But can also be dragged it can sorry, but it can also be urged back to life, transforming us into more active, curious, alert readers of reality. Um, and this quote reminded me of really um, I, I think the theoretician of education that has influenced me the most. And nothing surprising or new about this for anybody who's read any bit of educational theories is Paulo Freire, the, um, the Brazilian um, educator and, um, and really liberation, liberationist and liberation theologian and, uh, and really pedagogical theorist, um, teaching theorist, who really, um, I think, uh, brought critical literacy and, uh, in, in, and in turn critical pedagogy into our um, kind of uh, our, our public discourse, our, our academic discourse, our ideas uh, about teaching. And it's, it's this notion that when we teach, we're teaching, say, literacy, reading. And it's not just a matter of teaching and to read and write the word. It's a matter of teaching to read and write the world, um, particularly for oppressed peoples, for those who are invisibilized, um, silenced, um, you know, um, kept away from from power and the um the kind of invitation that saunders is talking about is to think about ourselves as readers because <laughs> how we read uh the word is very much tied or related somehow kin to how we read the world and um 
And so there can be sloppiness. It can be sloppiness <laughs> in how we read the world where we're just looking for something that sets our hearts abuzz <laughs> with uh, the, um, the feelings of you know, nostalgia, uh, perhaps patriotism, uh, perhaps uh, better days past. And we fall into these traps of ideology um, that, uh, that lead us down dangerous roads. Um, or, or reading can increase you know, our critical thinking. It can increase our, our good suspicions. It can increase our, our empathy, our compassion, the wideness of our, of our imagination for, um, for others. Um, it can increase our, our sense of possibility. It can increase our um, urging and desire to, to do good and to fight for what is good in the world. Um, and so I guess I've been thinking about um, comics uh, and also non-comics reading as a way that we... Hmm, I was reading this... Uh, have you seen this book, Teaching Artfully? Uh, it's a great uh, comic. And it's sort of, again, a comics class put into um, comics form. And there's been a number of those. I'm a big fan of Linda Berry and, um, and uh, Hart's, uh, Hart's book. And shoot, why am I blanking on, on the name of that book? Um, but Teaching Artfully is another one of these. And it's a, it's a really fun one. The style is quite different. The, the kind of class it is, is is pretty different from the rest of those. Um, my favorite thing, sorry, this is an aside. When I start talking about, um, you know, books that teach about comics and books that teach through comics, my favorite thing is when somebody listens to me and then they go, hey, have you heard of Scott McCloud? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, yeah, I really like Draymond Green's defense. And then they go, have you heard of Michael Jordan? It's just like, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, <laughs> I was kind of assuming. I was kind of assuming it. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was an aside. <laughs> but I've gotten, I've had that conversation a number of times the last few few years. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Megan Parker is the name of the the artist and teacher of teaching artfully, um, with actually a blurb on the cover by Scott McCloud. Um, it's a Clover Press book um, from a couple years back. I really like it. Uh, anyway, the. the um, uh, Parker talks about you know line and color and form and texture, so it really breaks it down from an artist perspective, and, and I like I, I like uh, the way that Parker boils down to these like essentials of art, um, sequential art, yes, but you know it's not trying to theorize something crazy radical, uh, in talking about line, color, form, texture, shape, space, value. These are the elements of art, the sort of you know core basic elements of art, but in each of them talks about how that um, that element, like say line, which is you know any visual art teacher will will talk about, takes on a different kind of representational life in comics. Line becomes a an aspect of of creating worlds, right? Line becomes a way in which you create boundaries or, um, a reflection or, uh, well, you know, uh, it's doing all kinds of things, but it's a reflection of self. It's a reflection of consciousness. Um, it's a, you know, this is just kind of not a surprise of a quote, but uh, comics are visual representation of time and space, a collision of visual and verbal with infinite possibilities. 
and the image there is of Parker, the teacher, floating through space. And so this, you know, and, and Parker's not a, a being a sci-fi analyst of any kind, uh, I, I think so much as just really recognizing how comics reckon with, with word, but also with space and time through these features of, you know, contour and texture and shape and certainly color. And, um, and so that's just totally fascinating to me because when we are interpreting something on the scale of the world, like, like I, 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 I'm not, I think about this every day because I'm trying to teach students, most of whom, uh, you know, are English is, the, you know, their target language of learning, right? They, they're, they're trying to grow as human beings in an English dominant society and culture and trying to get through school in a language different from their their home tongue their mother tongue and so i'm trying to teach them english and simultaneously trying to teach them about you know fossil fuels and and uh, renewable energy sources and and uh you know flood drought stuff like that that's that's uh, caused by uh by uh global warming and and as we sort of talk about these things I'm asking them to imagine the world, you know, in a vast way. I mean, these are kids who have fled Afghanistan in the past six months, uh, who have now traversed a world away to be in California. And they have, you know, lived in vast, vastly different environments. And yet what I'm asking them to do is to picture that world, this world, and the whole the whole earth, and then on these time scales, where when we're you know watching these these uh you know very cool animated graphs that show the way that average temperatures have increased and all that kind of stuff, we're asking them to think on time scales that are vast, and then these kids who who often have even very little choice about whether what lunch they have and whether they have to eat lunch, we're asking them to think about society scale questions about agriculture and the impact of um, you know uh, uh, industrial farming <laughs> on you know methane and, and 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 greenhouse gases right and so it's all representations right I it's it's even these kids who've seen so much of the world we're in this tiny little classroom I, I'm not able to take them with me to soar through the sky and see from a bird's eye view and then to travel through time, except that we're doing that through the visuals and the language that we talk about. And that's what, you know, comics, arts, film, storytelling, that's what they, that's what we're purporting to do, to try to imagine the inconceivable. And then actually not just to, to, to see it, but to get better and better at reading it, as Saunders says, to not be deceived, but to be trained to accuracy, to not fall to disuse and susceptible to lazy, violent, materialistic forces, but to be urged back to life, transforming us into more active, curious, and alert readers of reality. And so that's tiring. That's <laughs> super tiring. I mean, to try to do that with kids all day, and they're they're so good. They're so up for it they're so curious they're so knowledgeable but they're also tired they're 12 years old and their 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 minds and bodies are just they just want lunch and they just want to get out and play you know and and so this is something about sci-fi science fiction that i see playing this role 
if, in us where we can't, it's hard for us to sit there and think about science articles all the time, write policy statements all the time. What gets us there while nourishing those human things that we need of a connection to culture, of narrative and story, uh, creating for us a sense of connection and excitement and so on. Um, and I think that's where, you know, Star Wars plays a role. That's where Fantastic Four plays a role. That's where, you know, uh, the comics I'm going to talk about today might play a role. Not so much for kids. Not many of these, <laughs> I think, these Substack comics are for kids. But, but you know, actually, I, I really don't think that the audience ought to be just kids, obviously. I'm thinking that way because that's the way I teach. And, I mean, that's how I teach, and that's crystallizes how I think. But I, we just have, you know, we have important kind of self-reflection as cultural beings that we need to do um, about how we read and why. Um, and, and, and all of that, of course, is very much a perspective about readers. Um, and, and I think that is uh, a different but overlapping terrain with how we, how we think about creators and creating. Because those who make these stories that we tell, you know, they may be one out of tens, thousands, <laughs> you know, tens of thousands of storytellers who contribute to our culture, to media. But um, collectively, their contribution matters. And then their place in our culture and the ripples of those stories also profoundly matter. I mean, you know, there's something about the listener of this pod, this podcast, the listenership of this podcast might be tiny. <laughs> but uh, the things that we talk about also might be tiny. <laughs> the readerships of comics might not be as vast as they used to be, let's say. And yet those stories, those comics, how many things have we talked about on this podcast that three years later are um, big Hollywood blockbusters? You know, 10 years later, characters who are popping up and into the Spider-Verse and then in front of every kid, every kid's eyes. Um, so something wells up from this kind of, um, you know, um, protean <laughs> creation, exploration, readership of culture that is the comics community, right? So, I mean, you know, I y'all know me if you've listened to this to this podcast. I, I'm really curious about the outer edges of what's going on, where those outer edges feel like they're, you know, ultimately going to. Uh, um, uh, reshape the the field more broadly or reshape you know what's gonna show up in movies in 10 years um and <laughs> to be honest sometimes i i, I uh, you know this is slogan of this podcast is to read widely and dig deep but sometimes i'm all over the place um searching for what is the kind of that frontier right which is why i was very interested in substack um interested in the experiment. And um, I've said on this podcast before, I was a Substack subscriber for a few newsletters, you know, Dan Rather and other other folks. Um, now I have like, oh shoot, a list of a bajillion, even before the comics, <laughs> folks that I'm reading on Substack, even people who I disagree with or find disagreeable sometimes. Um, 
but it's the fact that Substack was a place for them to do long form essay writing and, you know, think think pieces, you know, the kind of stuff that you you'd find in the New York Times op-ed or or um, Vox or something like that. Um, and that's what drew me to 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 subscribe to these newsletters. And so last whatever it was, July, August, when Substack started to um, you know, really hand out these these lucrative deals that would draw the likes of Jonathan Hickman, you know, at the time he writing the crest of this this really successful uh, House of X, you know, Powers of X, Dawn of X, Hickman of X <laughs> universe, and then to suddenly really kind of and very publicly sort of step wa- step away from that to start creating three worlds and three moons on Substack with Mike Del Mundo and and. Mike Hilston and and uh, and then you know sort of all the other creators so exciting uh, Andy Stevenson Saladin Ahmed some of my favorite artists and writers and, and storytellers um, bringing their wares and to Substack and 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 not not their sort of you know obviously not their corporate stuff not their work for hire stuff but the stuff that maybe represented you know the deepest most honest thing in their heart, you know, their, their stories, their, their pet stories, you know, and, um, and a, a, as often is the case, Jeff Lemire, one who blazed so much of the trail in the sense that he's just so um, candid and sharing some of his history, um, you know, Jeff Lemire's substack is called Tales from the Farm, and just these lengthy, you know, accounts of those years when nobody knew who he was, and he was just drawing stuff, you know, for, for himself and uh, just trying to find, you know, uh, the, the, the tiny press that would publish his stuff to where he is now, you know, or, I mean, James, James Tynion, 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 uh, Tiny Onion, <laughs> The Empire of the Tiny Onion Substack, where he was publishing comics with Michael, Michael Avon Oming, but just talking about, you know, really candidly about, his Batman work um, about, uh, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then Molly Knox Ostertag teaching comic storytelling in this really fun way and then now serializing this this comic, The Darkest Night, which you should definitely check out. Um, or N.D. Stevenson's super, super um, powerful, honest, revealing diary-type comics um, that are there. And there's just, it's like... They're just really exciting creators that um, have compelled me to pay attention to Substack Comics. And so, let's see. Last Monday, I think it was January 31st, was the first Comics Day on Substack, CDOS. And I, I, I think I viewed this entire thing, you know, as much as I was invested and all in in terms of the the, the kind of litany of creators who are starting out there, uh, or, or, or you know, creating Substacks um, for comics, uh, excited by the prospect of their excitement about being respected with these Substack Pro kind of, um, you know, invitations to really spin out their work. Um, wary about the concerns that um, many have had about Substack platforming certain kinds of authors and, and perspectives and things like that that were just... Uh, from objectionable to downright hateful, and and you know these these questions, these ethical questions we're asking about um, uh, about platforms and platforming altogether, right? The big big societal conversation that we really need to be having. 
but I, I was just really interested in um, in them opening the doors for others to be just publishing and creating there. Because, you know, I've been to Webtoon and followed around webcomics and, and all kinds of uh, sites and, and, you know, seen Comixology and, and, you know, Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe Infinite try to expand and, and, and just the possibility of different models of access, right? Where we're not um, not necessarily just trying to appease the comic shop regulars, um, which is a, a honestly a small and sadly uh, sometimes feels like shrinking proportion of 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 people. Um, how are we? How are comics getting there? You know, how are comics showing out there? And so, um, so it's been it's been interesting. The first few months was a little bit of uh, I came to the party a little too early. Nobody, <laughs> no, nobody's dancing. I'm just standing around the punch bowl like a weirdo. <laughs> um, but since then, since then, whoa, man! And then this last uh, uh, Monday, oof, it, a whole bunch of comics dropped. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about them here. Thirty minutes of the podcast finally. <laughs> I've been holding out on the information. Um, with, you know, a whole mess of comics dropping uh, and then announcements of new and forthcoming and newly launching Substack comics. And if you had taken this lineup of creators and this was, you know, Image Comics 1992, three, whatever it was, you know, or, it, you know, if this is, you know, some creator-owned uh, publisher, I mean, like, we're done. Like that, that's it. You won, you know, you won the year, you know, and um, I don't know if <laughs> Substack can win the um, be- best publisher award, uh, you know, at multiversitycomics.com and, and elsewhere. But I, I just, um, I mean, okay, let me just run down. I got three worlds and three moons, you know, aforementioned Mike Del Mundo, Jonathan Hickman, Mike Huddleston, right? James Tinian the fourth, Tynan, Tynian, Tynian, Tynan. Uh, Empire of the Tiny Onion, right? Scott Snyder's Our Best Jacket, where um, they're not publishing comics, but Snyder is his affable self in a t-shirt on a video talking about the finer points of, you know, um, uh, landing your ending to your story. You know, how does your third act not suck? (laughs) Really fun uh, place for those who want to learn about how to be a creator. Uh, Kids Love Chains. Donnie Cates and, and Ryan Stegman and, and others. Jeff Lemire's Tale from the Farm, Tales from the Farm, Chip Zdarsky. Um, I'm fine, I'm fine, just understand, as I was saying about Andy Stevenson's um, subtitled Quiet Comics about gender, mental health, and getting older, uh, which really kind of on every other day tip, uh, I just kind of moved me to tears. Uh, Scotty Young is there, you know. Um, and then, and then, and then uh, Kelly Thompson. It's a 1979 semifinalist um, in the telling, Molly Knox Ostertag, Solid and Ahmed's Copper Bottle. I mean, this, this, this is a, quite a lineup. And that's before Monday's announcements. <laughs> so let's get to those. No, 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 no. I'm going to hold out for it yet longer. So this is what Monday was like. All right. I knew because many of the my favorite creators on Substack, I, meant, I didn't mention so, Sophie Campbell's Barf. One of my one of my favorites on there, right? Um, Shadow Eyes is 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 coming out there. 
So some of those creators, including Campbell, were sort of hinting, look out, Monday, stuff is coming. You know, stuff you've seen, page here, page there of, posted here, coming on Substack. And then on Monday, in a trickle in my uh, inbox as I was heading off to teach, um, I got we got the first chapter of Black Cloak on uh, Kelly Thompson's Substack. And Kelly Thompson and uh, Meredith McLaren, who partnered, and in a way sort of, I think, I feel like they sort of arrived together with, a, what was it, Heart in a Box and... What's the other one? Uh, the city image, something image <laughs> put out in the series of, yeah, just cool stuff, right? And uh, and Kelly Thompson's Black Cloak with Meredith McLaren uh, came out that day. And then James Tynan announced a whole bunch of stuff coming to, to Empire of the Tiny Onion forthcoming. And then the first uh, chapter of a project called the, the, um, the, the Closet with Gavin Fullerton and Chris O'Halloran and, and, and some others. Um, let's see, Kids Love Chains, uh, Stegman and, uh, and Kate's, uh, as well as others, dropped a preview for Vanish, which they've been showing us penciled pages of for those of us who are followers on that site. Uh, Shadow Eyes, the next big you know volume of Shadow Eyes came out, uh, the, I, the, the, rather the first chapter of Sophie Campbell's Shadow Eyes, which if you've been subscribing to Barf, which is Sophie Campbell's uh, Substack, then you've been able to catch up on old Shadow Eyes. Pretty cool, pretty great. Um, Chip Zdarsky's been doing stuff, uh, so Public Domain and Kaptara continues on there. And then Three Worlds, Three Moons uh, has has had, had a bunch of announcements as well as a bunch of shout outs to other things that were coming out. Um, Malinox Ostertag shared some cutscenes from um, Girl from the Sea, which congratulations for nomination for a GLAAD award to, uh, to Girl from the Sea. Great graphic novel, which I, I wish I had reviewed on the podcast. I, I read it kind of quick and uh, should have taken some time. I think it was probably one of the low, low times of the podcast when I wasn't doing this regular. Um, so new comics came out. And then news of newer, even newer to come comics on Substack. Um, hit the <laughs> the outlets, the sources. And so this is what's new and now coming and you can subscribe to on um, on Substack. And I will link uh, first and foremost to the multiversitycomics.com uh, news article that um, lists and mentions and offers a little bit of commentary on Substack itself um, and on um, on these new on these new comics that were announced. Uh, one of them is Grant Morrison. I, I'm, my, I need some water. My, my mouth is already getting dry from talking about these. All right. Uh, Grant, Grant Morrison at, at their Grant Morrisoniest is, is coming to Substack. They have a site called Zanaduum. 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 X-A-N-A-D-U-U-M. Uh, that is, as all things Morrison, replete with inferential allusions to all kinds of stuff. Um, they write that Xanadum is my attempt at autobiographical sci-fi collage comics with a K done in the lowest of hands on anti-NFT lo-fi with felt pens, colored pencils, scissors, and blackmail graphics, crude, primitive, post-apocalyptic, and back to basics before computers roam the earth, end quote. <laughs> and if you go there now, you'll see 
the collage stuff, you'll see weird photos of Grant. It's so interesting. I can't imagine anyone who's not already a gigantic fan and a lifelong reader of Morrison making heads or tails of any of this. I, I, I can't, I've never been able to really make that much heads or tails initially of anything Morrison's done. In fact, way back in the life of this podcast, my brother Sonny and I used to um, used to give awards to different books and trades that we were talking about. We used to call something the Camp Morrison, meaning the, the, the comic we think is we think is good but we can't figure it out so we're not sure um xanadoom coming soon actually coming now you can subscribe now and start getting a taste all right that's new to substack and then jenbartel.club new to substack jen bartell the you know artist of some interiors like blackbird but also lots and lots of super cool covers and uh, the jenbartel.club club is going to you know, just post pieces and process stuff. And I think for, you know, those of us who, even if not great artists, are just art nerds, um, it's just going to be super fun, super interesting to, um, you know, Bartel's asking, hey, do you want to see my Clip Studio brushes? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm in, you know. Um, and then Brian K. Vaughn, uh, and, uh, and Nico Henrik, Henrikon, I think that's, I don't know how to pronounce it, en Enricon, Enricon. Um, Nico Henrikon is the artist of Pride of Baghdad. Remember that book? Oh, I, I, I have a signed copy of that book. Um, and it was maybe 2006 or something, 2004. I don't know, it was a Vertigo book, uh, starring animals. Uh, and, um, and, the the site the substack is called exploding giraffe named after a panel with an exploding giraffe <laughs> and soon to publish actually already starting there's already been a first chapter out a book called spectators now if you're a fan of 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 brian k vaughn and uh and i am and i'm an avid fan of saga super excited that saga's back um you may like different elements of the brian k vaughn story storytelling you know style i like the mysteries i like the human stuff i like the cliffhangers i like the the sort of touches of nostalgia i like especially in saga the sense of you know really sentimentality um i like the sardonic um commentary on the contradictions of our society i wish sometimes that the issues that vaughn teases to be talking about uh, the stories would actually take a stand about. I feel like sometimes they raise uh, the the specter of topics and and then and sort of find the narrative easy way out. Um, but that's not so much of a complaint as just a, a, a <laughs> let's just call it a constructive critique. Spectators, though, is maybe about the stuff of Brian K. Vaughn's work that I'm least interested in. Um, but maybe we'll see. You know, I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, it is a planned 300 plus page self contained epic, I'm quoting here, about, well, a lot of things. They're not trying to give too much away. But at its core, it's a story about sex and violence and why so much, so, so many of us spend so much of our lives watching both. And so, um, you know, I was leery of sex criminals. I am a, I am a prude, <laughs> and, and, uh, 
and uh, it, but but I think there was uh, a lot of humanity. I never finished it, but I think there was a lot of um, humanity, and in a way, some sadness about things rather than titillation in that book. Um, I think spectators will not be so much um, uh, uh, kind of you know staring in the mirror sadly. It, it'll be more sort of like pointing a mirror to society, perhaps. Um, that's what the sense that I get from the first very graphic, very not for kids uh, chapter, uh, which promises, I'm sure, much more of that to follow. So that will be at Exploding Giraffe. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to follow Brian K. Vaughn work wherever, um, you know, and it'll just be a matter of the degree to which I have to um, hide it from the children. Uh, <laughs> that's Exploding Giraffe. And then there's more. There's more. I'm not done. Don't even, don't even uh, uh, change that channel, right? Because um, Elsa Charatier and uh, one of my favorite artists of going. I say that about a lot of folks, but uh, uh, she's pretty great. Um, uh, she of the you know of November and uh, Wasp and lots of great comics. Um, she of sort of the uh, a, a modern day Darwin Cook style. One was basically my favorite style of art and comics is collaborating with Tom King. Have you heard of Tom King? I'm sorry, that's I'm trying to t talk about Tom King in a Tom Kingish way. Tom King, uh, Tom King, and they're working together on get this a romance comic. Man, I can't wait to see a romance comic from these two. Um, and they're working on um, a Substack that's called Everlasting Productions, everlastingproductions.substack.com. Um, and um, they're going to be launching a title called Love Everlasting. And Clayton Coles and Matt Hollingsworth, you know, incredible crew, and um, publishing it on their Substack and released for free. It's there for free. And you can read Love Everlasting right now for free and it looks so good um and i can't wait to read it <laughs> there's so many things that i haven't even gotten to reading all of the things as excited as i was to instantly download them and put them on my ipad but um flipping through the pages it it really has the stunning you know i loved november i loved the way that charity was doing something a little different because i think um you know there's temptation to pigeonhole into a certain uh, uh, shall we say, uh, corner that uh, Darwin Cook was also sometimes pigeonholed into, which to his credit, Darwin Cook never let himself stay in those corners of say like kids comics or, you know, the comics adaptation of animated stuff comics, uh, that art was too good for it. Too good for that corner. No, too good no, that corner is a perfectly good corner. I just mean too good to be stuck in that corner. And so we got stuff like New Frontier and stuff like Parker. And Charatier, in, in the same way, um, was not to be cornered with just um, sort of like kid-friendly stuff. And November was so cool, just such a contrast. With Love Everlasting, though, we get the style doing romance comics and this beautiful, powerfully simple... Uh, yet so dramatic uh, style to uh, add this, these layers of um, mood to these romance comics. It looks so fun. I can't wait to read this. 
Uh, I'm excited about Love Everlasting from Everlasting Productions. And that's not all. There's more. <laughs> you know, we had Xanadoom. We got, uh, and, and Grant Morrison. We got Jen Bartel. We got uh, uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Nico Enricon. We got um, Glass, uh, Glass Eye Studios. Carrie Randolph. Carrie Randolph with writer Joanne Starrer. Now, Randolph most recently has been um, lending talents to excellence. Uh, part of this was an announcement that um, Randolph would be continuing to collaborate, you know, as part creator owner of Excellence at Image. But I think some of the art duties is going to be sort of passed on to someone else, I think. That's my sense about it. But um, they are together starting Glass Eye Studios, which is at glasseyestudios.substack.com. And writer Joanne Starr and, uh, and Randolph are creating a title called Sirens of the City which looks ultra cool. The image that they shared, the cover image, actually reminds me a lot of Sophie Campbell's Shadow Eyes. Um, but if you like that style, you know, you're going to find some there. And then they're also, they've also announced that Star will be writing uh, and, and, provi- and art provided by Gabo, um, who is such a cool artist, um, a title called Away From Here, all published through Glass Eye Studios. Now, I realize I'm sounding like a commercial for Substack. I am not paid by Substack, uh, unless you count the fact that I am uh, putting the, the comic syllabus Substack at Substack. But no, I'm not. I'm not a recipient of any kind of pro account. I, I, I always have to say, you know, there is a side of me that is reserved and skeptical and would like to remain critical. And I and I have been. I think I want to be um, critical where these stories, these books. Uh, don't do what I hope they, 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 you know, they would do. Um, but I'm just enthusiastic, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic because I think ultimately what this comes down to is the reason they're here, the reason I'm here, is because this is a bunch of creators getting to do their stuff, right? And, um, and, and I'm excited about these creators. Like, you know, these are folks who I think whose work really deserves to be, to be featured and for so many of them, actually, they're going to be releasing their comics and releasing the work to all, to any free subscribers. And, you know, for a lot of them, the um, paid subscribers is just a means of, you know, patron patroning their work and, and access to, to extras. Um, and, you know, that's been kind of fun. <laughs> but but I, I've I've not I've hopped on to all of these, including the. Um, including the paid subscription tiers, because I'm fascinated. I want to be a supporter of this work. Um, I've never mentioned Rodney Barnes. Rodney Barnes has a, a substack called Dark Apocrypha. Rodney Barnes is a, a writer of a whole bunch of great TV shows and, and comics and things like that. Um, sometime I got to dig into that with, with y'all. Um, but I'm, I'm actually skipping the, maybe the announcement that I'm uh, maybe most excited about, which is that if you've ever heard the podcast Manga Splaining, um, which features uh, uh, Chip Zdarsky as one of the, the crew. Uh, David Brothers, uh, formerly of, of Image Comics, is one of the crew. Um, but really, I, I always associate um, Manga Splaining with Deb Aoki, who is just a, just a, a wonderful ambassador for manga, um, particularly in the American market. Um, has written and published about manga and uh, sort of been a been a manga uh, expert and a champion in lots of different spaces. Um, 
and then I forget the the others. Maybe the others that are actually doing the manga splaining um, Substack. So manga splaining um, Substack it has start, has also started a Substack, and this is intriguing to me because that's been a podcast and it's been like a reading, you know, like a book club, you know, um, picking a different you know seminal work of manga each week, month. I'm not sure how often to talk about, and I've listened to quite a few of their episodes. And now they're turning their um, their podcast into a Substack in order to be a publisher of translations of you know untranslated and not yet published in uh, in the U.S. or in English speaking market um, manga. You know, great work by great mangaka that might be more obscure and and less well known. And let me hasten to to shout out Christopher. Woodrow Butcher and uh, check out the name of the other Woodrow Butcher, Butcher, but um, the Woodrow's Butchers with Deb Aoki are doing the um, translation work and the the recruitment work. Um, I believe it's Andrew, um, and uh, and so they uh, they already are you know on on their Substack, bringing uh, Okinawa Chapter One, Sword of Sand, which is um, a manga a, a manga work. Um, by Susumu Higa. And I uh, haven't read it yet, again, but I'm so intrigued. In fact, I think I'm going to dedicate a good amount of the comic syllabus substack reviewing to really trying to pay attention to every every piece of manga that they, they bring us um, uh, there for, at Manga Splaining. So I think I got them all. I think that wraps up all the, the, the many announcements of um, stuff. I, I didn't mention the sort of uh, all the titles that uh, James Tynan, Tinian, Tinian <laughs> announced at the Tiny uh, Tiny uh, Onion Empire. And and, and there's, I'm sure I overlooked something. But it's a lot, right? It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I've already said why I'm fascinated by Substack as a, as a sort of artistic, commercial, and cultural endeavor. But to come back to what I started this episode of the podcast with, what interests me too is that in this space where these creators are sort of um, unleashed from the constraints or the demands or the requirements of corporate comics, which of course they've done tons of stuff uh, along those lines, you know, at Image or Dark Horse or or whatever, you know, self-published creator publisher, creator-owned publishers. But it's the fact of, I think, these things existing in a space where they might reach the eyes of people, again, who may not be stepping into the traditional comic shop so much. In fact, they may be falling uh, in with people who are reading the Substack <laughs> newsletters that, that I'm reading. You know, um, my Substack inbox includes um, places that are about race and politics, places, uh, Substack newsletters about um, uh, climate, right, Uh, about religion, um, about, you know, all kinds of things, uh, really. And so, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just really intrigued when the gates open wide by through these sort of you know gate smashing well-known creators but that you know (laughs) my daughter (laughs) likes to share 
pictures of our bunny, <laughs> but also her own kind of artistic creations and little tiny animations that she's making on Procreate on her iPad on Substack. I, I can't wait for something by somebody whose name we don't know right now, um, but that that can come out, whether on Substack or a place like Substack, and just have a wide uptake where we can really see this kind of maker culture start to step up and make the kinds of stories that expand our imaginations, our moral sensibilities, our empathy, our grasp of the world that teach us to responsibly read in these times, in the world that we're living in, with the crises that we're facing. It's going to be fun, and I hope to be here for it. Wouldn't want to miss out at all. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, I'm going to dig into star signs, with just one example, and uh, and talk about what I like about it, and uh, and maybe some questions I have. Okay, all right, be right back. All right, so I mentioned before Copper Bottle, um, Saladin Ahmed's Substack page, uh, site, home. There's got to be a better word. Page doesn't sound right. <laughs> I like Copper Bottle. They got two titles going so far, and then a one-chapter um, story that was illustrated by um, Vanessa Del Rey, I think. I'm just going to find it now. Um, all can be found at copperbottle.net. And uh, okay, I had to. I had to acknowledge. I, I complained. <laughs> I, I complained a little bit because of all the creators that were announced to go over on Substack. Uh, Aquaman was the one I was most excited about. When I got there, uh, and I was waiting <laughs> the first few months, uh, we didn't hear anything from Copper Bottle for a, a good minute. You know, we heard some announcements. It was an essay. It was an interview. Meet a meet the artist, and then it was like, okay, cool. Right, roughly September, mid-September until um, mid-November. You know, it was a pretty long hiatus. And, and I think that was at my peak of being ready. I was like, I'm so hyped for this Substack thing. And then it was like nothing. You know, like drips and drabs from folks, uh, except for the ones who were really on it early. I'm looking at you, Jeff Lemire. Uh, <laughs> looking at you, Chip Zdarsky. Why are you making us look bad? Um, but uh, but then, then in mid-November, with a surprise drop of this not previously announced book. Saladin and Ahmed started dropping star signs and then Terror War, which had been announced, which two chapters are out. Uh, and then this short, this uh, one chapter story, it's called Wages of Sin with Vanessa Del Rey and Sean Lee. Um, and, uh, and I've been really enjoying it, man. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, the, some of the initial cover, uh, you know, teaser optics of Terror War were not that exciting to me, but now I'm pretty into the story. Just two short chapters in. Uh, and we're three short chapters into Star Signs, uh, basically the equivalent, I'd say, of a, a single-issue comic. Um, but they're they're definitely writing for this format. So, um, you know, uh, understandably, uh, you know, Ahmed was, was working and, and collaborating with these partners, and I'm, I'm really okay with them taking the time that they need to make this come out with the quality that they have. And extra excited that what... Um, Ahmed announced was that comics would be available for free 
um, for all. So you can read these comics without subscribing to Copper Bottle, um, but subscribers would get access to, like, there's an Ask the Artist with artist uh, Megan Levins, 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 <laughs> of Star Signs, and it's a really fun kind of chat. And uh, and most of all, um, you know, subscribers are supporting the work, uh, uh, the creator-owned work that Ahmed is doing with it, with real intentionality to. Um, feature and support um, creators of colors and cre- creators of color and creator creators from um, marginalized communities. So um, love that about it, and love that the comics are available for free. And 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 I'm I'm, I'm glad um, because because you can read some Star Signs right now. So Star Signs Chapter One was the surprise drop. It came out November 11th. Um, since then, chapters two and three have come out. Let me give a little bit of a summary of what we're looking at here. Uh, as you can guess from the title with a little bit of thought, Star Signs, we're talking about the uh, the Zodiac. And uh, just as I was not a Star Signs, I mean, sorry, just as I was not a sci-fi person, I'm also not too knowledgeable about the Zodiac. Um, what I recognize in it, though, is a set of beliefs that, you know, multiple cultures, including indeed our own, uh, with a diverse um, bunch of practitioners who are interpreting and understanding and weaving into their grasp of their own experience, the world, their um, cosmologies, you know, their their kind of pictures of, of the the their own their own lives, conceptions of their lives. Um, this this sort of larger movement of celestial bodies. Um, <laughs> we are here at Lunar New Year, so I, I do recognize. The significance in people's, you know, meaning making of zodiacs, right? Um, but we're here talking about the the zodiacs, um, the zodiac that y'all know. Sagittarius is what I am. Uh, that's about the extent to which I, I know about that. Um, but those signs, those, you know, what is it? Twelve, twelve signs, um, it are are in the logo treatment um, in this cool kind of rainbow color. Um, uh, uh, kind of uh, design with this circular cyc- cyclical star signs, zodiac signs thing. <laughs> Should have said earlier. Story by Salin Ahmed, art by Megan Levins, colors by Kelly Fitzpatrick, letters by Sean Lee, Heather Antos, editing. Super cool crew of creators. And the very first page that we get, um, uh, you know, story page proper. Shows again that logo with the uh, not the logo, but the, you know the the multicolored you know cycle circle kind of depiction of the the twelve zodiac signs actually in the sky, and a speech bubble going down to somebody who we'll meet in a second, Tatiana, saying it's happening. Uh, and I, I, I kind of seized on this full page splash because for me, this was like the Substack comics I've been waiting for. And yes, it's happening. We're getting them. But also so fascinating that as I was talking about before about these ideas of lines, colors, you know, shape, contour, becoming this representation of the world and how we see the world. To think about zodiacs and constellations as that, and then to see this image, which I think I'll try to reproduce in the show notes, um, it's happening, and there the twelve you know signs of the, the the zodiac. You map on top of the sort of actual reality of the night sky, our 
meaning-making representations, our seeing ourselves in the stars, right? Our fates in the stars. And that is a sum up to me of what I've been talking about. Why sci-fi, why comics, why these stories are so important to us and why we attend to them so carefully. And meanwhile, <laughs> shading underneath this symbol are a bunch of trees. And I'm reminded that at the same moment that um, these representations matter, um, they also are meant not to obscure, but to help us to see better the nature of an actual reality and the reality of an actual nature around us. The second uh, page um, says that we're in the Northwest Territories of Canada, which is just where this page is. Th this chapter is is set because we meet this character, Tatiana, who is pretty tough with a, a professor. <laughs> Why do they always got to be tough on the professors? Uh, and they're outdoors, you know, out there in Canada, for as, as far north as you can get, snow falling down the mountains. And um, Tatiana seems to um, be downright reverent of a father figure, Mr. Duke. A um, lot of mystery about what they're doing, but they're definitely up to something big and sacrificing for this great cause. And I think that the, at this point, what we know about what they're up to, you know, up here in the snow, is Mr. Duke says, let's watch the stars die. And then something happens. Something happens that we see some um, some kind of narrative dialogue over, saying, where was I when the zodiac signs disappeared from the sky? I was at home cooking. And the very last page of chapter one, uh, we meet our main character, um, or what appears right now to be at least one of our main characters. <laughs> uh, so we already met um, Tatiana, sort of a, a blonde woman uh, working with Mr. Duke and and the professor and uh, and Marianne and Ginger, <laughs> and then uh, and then the last page in chapter two we find out that who we met sitting laying on the couch, uh, when holding a you know some kind of um, a necklace amulet or something like that, is um, a character named Rana Fawaz, who lives in Brooklyn, um, uh, has a roommate who is a documentarian. Uh, they lightly enjoy smoking weed. <laughs> She's close to her her baba. Um, and often on the phone, and uh, he plays, you know, cool instruments with Led Zeppelin. Um, but Rana is working as a caterer, and in chapter two and three, finds, uh, first of all, the, the background we get here of, of what has happened is that her roommate, the documentarian, is like trying to capture everybody's stories about where were they and what was it like for you when the stars fell, <laughs> this thing that we saw kind of happen. And I guess in, in whatever way, still trying to see exactly what that looks like. We get a few re visual representations, right? But the, um, the zodiacs have fallen, you know, the, the, the constellations, the, those stars, those recognizable stars in the sky are no longer there. They seem to have fallen. And then we see in, um, in this second chapter and in the third chapter um, that, um, that what's, what, what, what's happened is that uh, Rana is doing a catering job and somebody's being a real uh, uh, difficult person to work with <laughs> and in in um, Rana's frustration freezes time Rana freezes time and then uh, you know and then uh, when she goes home she's listening to Bowie 
smoking weed because her roommate's not home. And then Tyler, her roommate, does come home. And she does it again. And it turns out she can freeze time. And so, obviously, some kind of um, connection between the stars falling and, um, and what Rana seems able to do. And at the end of chapter three, uh, we get Tatiana back again, you know, the character from the beginning, who has somehow burst through a wall like the Kool-Aid guy into, um, into their apartment. Tyler is knocked out on the ground. And Tatiana says, hello, Taurus, you're coming with me. So I don't know if Rana with her new powers, you know, to freeze time, uh, has become Taurus. Uh, reading up a little bit on Taurus, I, I think Tauruses are very chill, looking really for kind of the mellow mood, which fits with the uh, Bowie song and the, and the smoke and a joint on the couch. Um, but also, um, when it's time to act, Tauruses are ready, ready to do so. Taurus, of course, being the bull. Uh, that kind of fits, too. Um, the Bowie song that, uh, I forgot the title of it, but the lyrics that are written there um, when she's uh, enjoying um, herself on the couch at around 4.20. says, in this age of grand illusion, you walked into my life out of my dreams. I don't need another change. Still, you forced your way into my scheme of things. And there's definitely a sense of, um, you know, Killed, killed my vibe. <laughs> you, you broke my chill. And, um, and I, I think that there's something here about somebody's, many somebody's, maybe our whole world's realities being busted into by this Tatiana person or this, this party, whatever they're up to. Um, but a sense of the, the normalcy that hangs in the revolving, ever-present, uh, constellations in the sky being disrupted by somebody who wants to alter the world to their ends. Um, some of this is pretty sort of typical. I, I don't know that I've seen many stories tackling um, the, the Zodiac, which I think is interesting. Uh, I have a lot to learn here. Um, but I do like the characterizations a lot. I think Rana is a so totally fun and, and and fascinating character who I'd like to hang out with. Um, I don't smoke, but <laughs> seems like it'd be a good time. Um, relationship with dad is established just in a phone call. is super fun and cool. Um, Levins is such a talented artist. And uh, I didn't really know uh, their work. Um, uh, Levins is, has, has done a lot of comics I've seen and heard about. Um, Spell on Wheels. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel City. Um, I, th I think I did. I read that. I don't know. Um, but but some really good things. I just haven't read it. Um, also Star Trek and Back to the Future stuff. Um, but man, I love this art. Right? It's just um, it's kind of um, I would say two notches towards cartoony, but still very um, uh, comics. You know, still uh, lots of doses of uh, comics realism. Um, but the, the way that the space, the, the space is created in this art for like the colors to really shine. Um, and the colors really try to embrace that spectrum that sort of, you know, represent the way that the Zodiac and the stars sort of the light comes to us in a spectrum. And that's Kelly Fitzpatrick's, um, colors that are, that are, 
um, lending this real kind of uh, warmth, a sense of wonder and magic. Uh, even in the scenes of kind of the apartment and everyday life, when things get really dull, there's always kind of like kind of leaking through the windows. And then and then definitely when magic starts happening, the way that magic kind of is represented by light and color um, by these artists, it's, it's phenomenal. It looks great. Um, the kind the kind of art that, uh, you know, it just shows we're talking, we're working with some top notch creators, you know, in this stuff. And, um, you know, and, and obviously we have a story here. I don't know where it will go. I can sort of guess from Ahmed's, you know, uh, sort of interests and, and, and topics and themes that there's something about sort of the, the dangers of, of folks with acquisitive, uh, you know, aspirations trying to colonize the stars and maybe with devastating consequences to people who kind of are trying to just live everyday life, and then those people being called to have to um, contend with that. That's um, that's a lot of the narratives that um, that uh, you know in the telling I've really enjoyed from from Ahmed. Um, so I, I I dig this so far a lot, and I and I'm excited for more star signs. I think what it represents too is how. Um, again, we're playing around here with sci-fi and uh, really trying to, um, I think as a reader, right, like trying to anticipate, okay, get me into your story world, you know, help me fix the rules and, uh, and then show me how this story um, among the bajillion stories that are there make me hear, read, perceive think about, um, you know, kind of map onto our views of the stars and the skies in a, in a whole fresh way. And, uh, and so I'm, I, I, I'm interested. I think I'm, I feel like I'm in good hands with this story. Um, similar interesting, interesting things are going on in Terror War, um, which Ahmed is doing with Dave Acosta um, and Jay Listen and Walter Pereira and Sean Lee again and Heather Antos again. I won't uh, get into this one too much um, because I need some water. (laughs) But, um, you know, like to see the fascinating behind the scenes world spinning that uh, is going on here. Uh, And then to look at like the Three Worlds, Three Moons uh, project, uh, projects, I should say, plural of world building that, you know, have contributions from your Al Ewings and your Rom V's and, um, and uh, uh, shoot, <laughs> Teeny Howard, yes, and many others. Uh, mo- every day, there <laughs> seems like another artist kind of coming aboard to be part of that ship. And they just recently announced, um, what did Three Worlds, Three Moons just announce? Um, they, they announced an editor. Um, they announced uh, that, uh, you know, frequently seen and, and super um, into comics and TV that you love, Stephen Wacker is now... Three Worlds, Three Moons, Editor-in-Chief. Like, good, like, this feels like this work is in good, interesting hands. Um, but again, I think what I'm most interested in is um, I, I, I want to, on the comic syllabus um, substack and here in the podcast, um, dig in more and look at this. And, and I know it may not <laughs> win me over as many listeners, Um or even necessarily supporters, um, 
at at the comic syllabus Substack. But I think I'm I think that's just really interested right now at this these outer edges that these kind of um, let's call it I wouldn't I don't know if this is outer edges, <laughs> but this kind of like like kind of a new new terrain, um, and how much we are getting to see because of the sort of platform that that is being afforded these creators of their process. Uh, I could go on for hours about all the things that I'm reading in the Three Worlds, Three Moons, like essays, you know, in the sort of Hickmanian, <laughs> um, Sasha Head kind of designed pages. But but all of the stuff about religion and economics that, um, you know, I don't I don't necessarily lock into or love all of it. I think it's just really interesting to see these these minds coming together. Um, but I'll come back to something I think I've mentioned before. I'm also um, been, uh, you know, using and learning from uh, all these master class classes. I got a master class subscription. Um, some a lot of it to use it. Uh, some of it with my classes and my students, you know. And you got Neil Gaiman um, talking about storytelling and all kinds of all kinds of cool people. But I've been going through um, N.K. Jemison's uh, master class, and uh, and she's talking about world building and. Um, uh, you know the the factors you bring in you you keep in mind when you are doing fantasy and sci-fi writing and it what it really comes goes to show is the power and potentiality of that stuff to reflect culture and then to um to influence culture so that's what I'm here for <laughs> uh, I'd love your thoughts I'd love your participation keep following um, share spread the word um, Again, just a just an English teacher trying in the little spare time I have to um, to engage thoughtfully with this. So I'm, it means so much to me when you do listen and read at the at the um, Substack and support. Thank you for those of you who do. And um, as I always say, let's keep reading. Okay, let's keep reading and let's keep trying to uh, to live better off of, uh, off of this stuff. That we